This is the Let's Talk Leadership podcast. My name's Ellie Greeny. And my name's Sandra Patel-Stewart. On this podcast, we will be interviewing some of the UK's greatest tech leaders. We'll be discussing war stories, battle scars, and their learnings from their journeys. Hopefully, you will pick up some great tips, learn from others' experiences, and have a good laugh along the way. Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in to the Let's Talk Leadership podcast. Really happy today that we've got the wonderful Gordon Cullum in, um, who's the CTO of Mastech. Uh, Mastech are a global technology company um, who offer enterprise um, level digital transformation um, solutions and software for a number of large global organisations. Um, they work in a number of different countries, including the UK, India and America. So thanks very much for coming and see us today. Thank you. <laughs> so I've not seen you in a while because I think the last time we caught up was at AI Tech North. Wasn't um, last year? Yeah, it was either that or was the summer barbecue. Was it was that was that after that or before? Oh, I, I can't that remember. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Summer yeah. barbecue was yeah. Like, so it is a while. It was last year though. So yeah. yeah. Well, before we know, yeah. it'll be the next summer barbecue. And I only live around the corner, so that's, oh, I work around the corner. Yeah. It's really bad, isn't it? Sorry. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Life just flashes yeah. before us, though, doesn't it? Yeah. But next summer bar- barbecue is booked to Jinx. We'll have to make sure you're available to come to that. Okay, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that would be really good fun. Um, how have you been this morning, anyway? You had a good day so far. It's been manic so far, to be honest. With uh, <laughs> uh, it was exciting times for us. We've got we've got. Um, I think so far this morning I've been on two bid calls, um, a, a, a call with a client who wants to do some really exciting stuff with machine learning with their cyber wow. data, and so uh, so literally non-stop since half past seven this morning, so apologies if I'm a little frazzled. All, um, all good stuff though, <laughs> yeah. which yeah, is amazing, definitely. good to yeah. hear. Yeah. Um, brilliant, so uh, what I think our listeners would love to hear um, is to start with just a bit more about you, um, what you do at Mastech, your mm-hmm. role there. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. So, so the title of CTO is a, is a funding one in a services company. It's not possibly what you might expect um, it to be when you compare it to, say, what it might be at ASDA or, or, or Morrison. But actually, the skills are very similar and the role is very similar, actually, at the, at, at the high level. Um, so what I'm responsible for is probably the best way of describing it for. So I'm responsible for leading our um, architecture and analysis functions in the market. So in the market in this context means in the UK. So all our chief architects, chief analysts, um, our UX researchers and our lead consultants all work for me in the UK. And their job is to go out and work with our clients on their strategies, their roadmaps, make sure that we're aligned with what they're trying to do from a business and technology point of view. Um, and, um, and it's a two-way thing. So we influence them to be able to get the best value out of our company, um, but we also take that feedback back into our company so we can transform it, which lead neatly into the second part of my role, which is to lead our technology strategy. So if we're a services company providing technology delivery for our clients, we have to make sure that we're conversant in, in the techs and the platforms and the architecture patterns and analysis tools that are, that are the um, uh, most relevant for our target market, so our, our existing clients and where we're trying to get new customers. And that's harder than you might think over the last few years. You know, if, if I go back 15, 20 years, it would have been, uh, sorry, right, just just do Oracle, just do Microsoft, uh, <laughs> and, you, and you're golden. You can get any client you like. Um, if you look at the explosion of open source and all the cloud platforms, there are um, hundreds and hundreds of weird and wonderful different technology solutions for any given one problem. And you can bet your bottom dollar that, that our clients will spread better across all of them. So trying to corral our our our, our capability um, that's able to be pointed at the right kind of problem spaces that our clients are trying to pull down from, our markets are trying to pull down from, um, is a, a never-ending battle. Fantastic. So your role's UK-wide? Uh, it's UK-wide from a customer point of view, okay. um, but, I, but, I, but the technology strategy for the business is global. Um, we do have a footprint in the U.S., it's a little bit simpler in some respects because our, our US tends to operate largely out of the Oracle um, Oracle Commerce and Oracle ERP um, uh, platform, which is a fairly straightforward strategy decision to make. Um, from a factory build point of view, if you like, uh, in terms of our software engineering capability in India, which is used to service our clients in the UK and the US, um, uh, then the decisions we make around those technologies and platforms and so on is for all our clients globally. So including India as well, actually. Yeah. Okay. How many people do you look after then? What, how many so directly, um, so uh, the other half of my role um, is is that uh, I look after Mastech Consulting. 
Um, so all the aforementioned architects and analysts work under the banner Mastech Consulting, which is a, a newly formed business entity within Mastech. Um, we use Mastech Consulting to be sort of what we call the sharp end of Mastech. So we are the other guys that try and work with our clients, like I said before, to try and work out where the opportunities are, where the uh, where we can add value, um, uh, how our services should be being developed over time. That team at the moment is about thirty strong ish, um, and the tech research and innovation function actually out in India is another seven or eight people on top of that. Mm-hmm. The intention is to grow that, which is probably, you know, uh, uh, we'll talk about that a bit later, about, about, about the plans for the business. That's the direct report uh, at the moment. In terms of the influence, though, arguably all the software engineers and all the architects look to out me and my team for guidance on their careers. Right. We operate quite um, um, a different organizational structure in Mastec. Um, we do have people with responsibilities and accountabilities that are hierarchical in nature, hence my title, and we have a CEO, we have a CFO, and so on. But we operate a principle called Mastech 4.0. Mastech 4.0 is a effectively an implementation of Frederick Valu's um, reinventing organizations management theory, the idea being that an organization is really a set of teams. The aspiration when we set it up seven, six, seven years ago, I can't remember quite how long it was now, um, uh, was that we would have no more than two to three layers of management between the CEO and the trainee coming into the business. Wow. And at the time, we were 2,500 people. As you can imagine, yeah. the width of that tree would look like. Yeah. It would be very, very, very wide and not very, very deep. Um, but the idea is you don't think of it as a tree. You think of it as a bunch of te- teams and individuals that come together for a purpose, then disband and come together for another purpose and for another purpose and another purpose. Now, it's quite obviously suits an organization that does project-based interventions because you pull together a team for a project and you do it. Yeah. But also, everything we do internally is a project, whether that be developing um, a change to the strategy, whether that be um, an internal staff transformation piece, whether it be um, I don't know, a finance piece of work, everything's a project. Um, over the years, we've tempered the view slightly because it, I think we probably tried to run before we could walk with that massive transformation from a very hierarchical org to a very flat yeah. org. Um, but we still operate on that culture and that value system of, of um, um, you don't. There's no positional authority necessarily incumbent in a project team. It's all about personal authority. Are you um, uh, uh, involved in this decision making process through um, uh, you know, personal power, which is projected through intellect or capability or experience, not the title you hold or, or, or the role you do? Um, That's yeah. Um, so let's hear more about your journey, your career journey, and where, where did it all start and how did you get to where you are today? Um, so in terms of pure career, uh, I guess I've done the fairly traditional route to where I've gone. I started off as a junior software developer. Mm-hmm. Um, I started with a company called Syntegra back in okay. 1999. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. At the time, it was J2EE still. It was, I was one of the very right. first J2EE. Yeah. In, fact, I, in fact, I believe, um, uh, I, I think I, I still hold this, we, went, we were the very first national project to go live on the J2EE tech stack using uh-huh. Netscape at the time. Um, but back in that, back in those days, um, I was working actually in third line support as a software engineer. Um, so I was doing some change management type stuff, but doing some um, uh, fault fixing type things, and that and that brought me to the attention of some of my peers who were working in the projects, mm-hmm. in the change projects, and they started training me up to be a system designer. And it was fairly traditional there: system designer, junior architect, solution architect, and so on. And that's how my career sort of panned out. Um, I learned an awful lot working for Integra, um, a very exciting company. Um, uh, my most proud moment there probably was that I was the solution architect uh, involved, uh, well not involved, I ran and designed the London Eye systems, oh, wow. so the TIL systems, the uh, um, the MI systems, the, the platforms that all support that, uh, that was all our first J2E platform, so at the time, it was quite interesting. It was um, if you went yes, into the do. yeah, if you went to, if you went into County Hall and bought a ticket, you were using the exact same set of services and systems at the yeah. back end as the website was using. Now that now might seem like an obvious architecture to yeah. people working in yeah. cloud technologies in 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 the in the two uh, thousands. At the time, it was pretty leading edge architecture patterns. Um, so we're very proud of that. We delivered right. that in very tall, short timescales. With only I think I think the team was fourteen people strong at its peak including three or four graduates in the team. So wow. very, very proud of that. Um, uh, then then what did I do? I went off, uh, as everyone does for a while, went off contracting for a while. Yeah. Went around a few companies. Um, spent some time in telcos, which is, yeah. I mean, the scale of working in telcos, that, that's good fun. Yeah. 
uh, when you're dealing <laughs> with things that are flowing at millions of transactions flowing through systems per day. Um, so I think what 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 drew me back to um, a role like I'm doing now is six seven years ago. I can't remember quite when I joined now. Um, I decided I want to be part of something because contracting can be quite lonely. Yeah. You feel like a little bit of an outsider. You're never quite part of a story. You're never quite part of um, uh, the outcome that you're driving. You feel, yeah, you feel like you're a bit of a mercenary. Um, even if in your heart of hearts you're not that person, it, it is kind of the nature of the role. So I decided I want to be part of something. And um, some ex-colleagues had joined Mustech, Um And they asked me if I wanted to be the chief architect for a major account that Mustech had at the time with Morrison's. Um, so I, I joined as a, a, a senior solution architect, chief architect for that account, and uh, and from there on, to be honest, within Mastech, it's just been natural progression as I've picked up bigger what responsibilities. What do you have to do, kind of, to get to work your way up and to get to the level that you're at now? So it's, it's a bit hard to pinpoint single thing because it, it feels quite natural when you look back at it. I mm-hmm. suppose um, I guess if you'd asked me, so I'll answer it in two parts. If you asked me seven years ago, six mm-hmm. seven years ago. I'd probably thought I'd topped out in my career. Um, I didn't really, ha- I'm not really ambitious. I didn't really have any aspirations to be where I am. And I quite enjoyed tech. Uh, I enjoyed yeah. actually being the cut and thrust of, of, of playing with systems and design systems. Um, I guess my background of being curious about problem solving, curious about um, engineering in all forms, not just IT. I mean, Lego and woodwork and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff just helps with that kind of the way of thinking. Um, so I guess if you're pursuing a career along that path, that that mindset of always wanting to look for problems and look for um, an, an ingenious solution to that problem, whether it's a physical solution or a technology solution yeah. or, a, or a human solution, um, never losing that curiosity is, is the biggest thing. Um, um, when it comes to things like moving through from implementation to design to architecture, um, um, that that feels very natural. There's some academic skills you can learn. There's some techniques you can go and train up for about abstracting the problem, abstracting the solutions, and making sure you're designing for things that can be reused and so on. I think most of that will be fairly natural for most people going through an engineering career. Yeah. If you want to go from architecture into the more management and maybe leadership and C-level, mm-hmm. that's where things get a bit trickier. Yeah. And I think that's where... And I'm, and I'm no expert yet. I'm still learning every day. <laughs> um, uh, focus on the people. Um, and that's not the easiest thing to do for techies. Um, our background is naturally a little bit introverted, mostly. I hope I'm not speaking out of turn. Um, um, we don't naturally ne- um, uh, are, have a lot of comfort in engaging in large audiences. So what that means probably for people wanting to do that, if, yeah. they're, if they're like me and my background, would be force yourself. Well, if you're given the opportunity, yeah, exactly. If you're given the opportunity to stand up on stage and talk to a supplier network or to a, to a market network or, or whatever, uh, and you feel uncomfortable, do it anyway. And one, well, every now and then you'll crash and you'll burn. Um, um, so that there's two things about that. Um, one is don't take it to heart. You you learn. Uh, I'm a firm believer you learn a hundred times more from a mistake than you do from success. In fact, successes can create reinforcing behaviours, whereas mistakes always create directional changes in you. Yeah, it's about how you learn from it, pick yourself back up, crack on and Absolutely. have another go. So, and, and, and one of the best ways you can do that is to create your network around you where you feel safe mm-hmm. to, to fall. Um, I've, I've had the luxury of having, um, back in the early days, back in Sintegra, uh, I had an amazing mentor. He just, he just took me under his wing pretty much from day one, actually. Um, we didn't know him from Adam, to be honest. I was introduced to him. Um, and he just, you know, we just saw something in each other. I wanted to be what he was doing, and he wanted to take something under his wing. And, we just, and, and, and he allowed me the space to fail and to succeed sort of as as the situation demanded and gave me that, that space. Was that someone externally or somebody you worked with? It was somebody I worked with. That's Integra, yeah. Uh, okay. Unfortunately, he died a few years ago. But, uh, yeah, he was a, you know, really good, became a really good friend. And... Um, so I, I would say, um, in order to support yourself in the ability to fail, mm-hmm. seek a mentor. You raise a good point. It could be external. Um, I, I've got um, some of... So I encourage the guys that work with me to seek mentors. Um, and external can mean one of two things. It could be external to your organisation. It could also mean, and I would also, I would recommend this, external to your career track. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend to somebody to pick a mentor who's one step or two steps ahead of them in where they want to go. 
Um, because that's, I would expect that to naturally come out of leadership and management anyway, that relationship. Mentoring needs to, I, I would think, in my experience, it's better when it comes from an external viewpoint. So if that comes from the business side of an organization or a financial side of an organization or a HR side, somebody in a relatively leadership position who can give you a different perspective on what you're seeing. Yeah, yeah. what you don't exactly. necessarily see or have. Yeah. Your yeah. blind spots, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. 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 And that's how you broaden your skills. So leadership's yeah. about broadening your skills. It's about becoming that T more than yeah. it is, you know, the, rather than the depth of the T, the width of the T. Yeah. Um, and there are things that people won't like in there. So it's not just the people things. I, I don't particularly enjoy doing the financial management of the team. It's pretty irritating <laughs> to me, to be perfectly honest. You know, I get asked for the budgets and, you know, whether I'm above or below, what I'm going to do about it. I, I'm just, I'm not that interested, if I'm honest, but you've got to do it. It's yeah. part of your role. You've, you've got, you know, you're taking on a different responsibility. So learn, you know, don't don't just throw out the things you're not interested with about. You've got to get on with those things as well. So, there's a lot of, and that's where the graft comes in because the stuff you're interested in doesn't feel like hard work, which yeah. shouldn't do if yeah. you're that interested that's in it. What you love, yeah. isn't that's what you love, and that's what yeah. you want to do. But if you, if when you move into management and then, and, and, Management and leadership aren't the same thing, but management and lead, I'll use them in the same context here. Um, you will have to do things that you don't like so much. Um, don't shy away from them. Pick them off. In IT, we talk about picking off the hard tasks first anyway. That's what we talk about when we do delivery. Um, pick them off. Get them. We get call good it at them. swallowing your frog in recruitment. <laughs> I like that. I'm going to use that. The bit, yeah. the, the, bit the yeah. day that you don't want to do, you know, when you have like your favourite candidate yeah. who's unfortunately not passed the tech test or something mm. like that and... You've got to swallow that frog and do that call it's and let nice. them know because it's going to help them and shape them. But if, if you put things off, it's not a good thing, is it? Absolutely, and and, and, and actually, that's a, that's a very very pertinent example. Um, I said earlier that that, that perhaps um, um, the kind of people that at least I associate with, yeah. and I might, and I hope I'm not doing people a disservice here, um, tend not to be naturally people people. Um, that gets even worse when you get into people management because yeah. there are some there's lots of nice sides to people management, which mm-hmm. is helping people's careers, helping people get on, mm-hmm. putting people into nice, exciting roles, and then there's the not so nice sides where you've got to correct behaviours or very, very worst case scenarios, do something drastic in the organisation. That comes at significant personal cost usually, yeah. and that takes an emotional toll. But you can't avoid it. Yeah. You, you're going to have to do those things to be a good leader mm-hmm. um, because you have a duty of care to the rest of the organisation. Um, um, uh, to, to, to take action when needed, um, and, and those and those skills, um, I wouldn't say you ever totally learn. You're constantly relearning them because yeah. you learn new ways of dealing with people all the time. Mm. And what about? I think it's interesting to find out. I guess from a childhood perspective, what learnings that sound Freudian <laughs> yeah. that you took on that helped shape who you are today and your role today. Whether it be someone in your family or lessons learned, I think because. Because these are things that you still carry with you today that can come from very early on in life. Okay, so I, I guess um, you could argue that I was doomed from the start <laughs> for this. Um, so um, uh, my, my, my father was in IT. Right. Um, oh, right. He's probably he's fairly well known in Leeds. Uh, he's retired now. Um, in fact, he has been my client in the past. Um, really? Yeah, that was awkward. That was awkward. Um, so he was in IT. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, so he's, his background is security architecture, IT okay. security architecture. So he worked at BT when I was at Integra. Right. Um, and that's that's how I got into IT because right. he used to bring problems home from work and I'd, I'd help him solve some of these problems. So, you don't get tougher time than you don't, do you? Yeah, so, so uh, I remember helping him work on a bid when I was 15, 16 years old and, and stuff like that. Um, uh, when I was six, seven years old, I was building... You know, I said I wanted a computer, and I think he said, "Well, if you're going to have a computer, you have to build it yourself." So right. he took me shopping for bits, and I had to learn how to build a PC and you know, build an OS and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so I had no choice really; I was doomed in that respect. But, but from a pure engineering point of view, now, though. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I do enjoy what I do. I do enjoy what I do. Um, there, there is a side which gets frustrating sometimes, though, because the other angle of it is, which I've never really thought about this until you asked the question, probably quite the way you had, but. Mm. Um, it's not all about IT. It's about problem solving and technology. Sorry, and, and engineering, mm. um, building things. So I've always liked like Lego and woodwork and metalwork and things like. That. I do a lot of DIY and stuff mm. at home, and uh, I had those toys as a, as a, obviously as a child. Um, my granddad was a blacksmith, and, oh. and always had all kinds of bits and bobs kicking around the shed and the garage. You know, I'd play with all those kind of things. And he 
tore me loads of physical engineering oh, templates. Great fun as a child. It, it was. It was a certain generation that had came with a certain amount of harshness to it. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely, yeah. he was. He, no, he was a good granddad. I, 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 that's, that's terrible to say. He was. He was. Um, so I probably was a little bit um, um, uh, predestined to do this kind of thing. Um, but that, but that, that element of wanting to build things and see things through and solve the problem and 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 that satisfaction you get, it's almost like a, it's a buzz. It's um, you, you can feel the endorphin rush when something goes in. Um, one of the things that happens when you move into leadership positions is you, you start to get a little bit further and further away from the, yeah. from the cold phase. Often, your value is at the at the front end of things, not at the back end of things, i.e. the delivery and transition end of things, um, unless things are going wrong, unfortunately, which is also often things get escalated rather than things rather than the nice things. And losing and that disconnect can sometimes be a bit uncomfortable. So I think I think the childhood things were that that that. that physical engineering background plus the fact that you know <laughs> I had relatives working in the industry I was always going to end up that way um it's just following footsteps then now he's two is he two things? he is two um uh, I I don't I think there's an interesting one there I'm not entirely sure I want him to right. um not because I don't like what I do um um but I, I want him to be a bit more open I have an interest in other things like you know music and things like that mm. you know i'd like him to do something a bit more creative i think but that's for him to him to decide the, the odd thing about this though is is the way society's going yeah. i think the whole the thing we now call it and have called it for several years in technology i think the, the term will start to disappear over time it's I just agree. it's yeah. just it just it just is it's just yeah. the air we breathe yeah. it's the background around us yeah. you know there, there won't be people who don't understand how to code there won't be people who don't understand how to to use technology tools in an advanced way um, or certainly more advanced than they were to our generation, yeah. the generation mm-hmm. behind us. Um, so it might be, it might be a sort of a nonsensical conversation to have in fifteen, twenty years' time, because mm-hmm. um, careers won't look the way they look now. Yeah. Um, it's preparing, isn't it? Yeah. The education people yeah. on that to make yeah. sure that we're ready for for what's next. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Amazing. Um, what about war stories and battle scars? Then what's helped shape? What experience, I guess, have you had to shape where you are today? Um, so I talked about uh, um, failures being something mm-hmm. that shapes you more than a success. Mm-hmm. I think failure is probably an awful word to use, actually. Um, um, uh, I think people prefer the word learning. learning. I mean, in our job, we say fail fast, fix fast, and some people take umbrage and say, no, learn fast. Um, <laughs> but ultimately, it comes out as something that hasn't gone quite right. Let's put it diplomatically. Right, <laughs> um, I, I, I've... I've had the look of working on some of the biggest IT programs this this country's ever seen, so notably things like the NHS program during the mid two thousands and so on. Um, so the things that shaped me there were I got to work with some incredible people. I mean, you know, really, really, really bright people, and I still I still know lots of them now, and they're yeah. off doing their own things, some of them run their own businesses in this area. Um, so that shaped me in a long way because uh, a, lot, a lot of that, um, um, you know. Lots and lots and lots of really hard work coming with the creative solutions on existing technology for what was at the time um, felt like a next generation problem um, was 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 shaped me a lot. So that was probably only fifteen, ten, fifteen years ago. Um, in terms of, uh, but that was more of a success guiding me, if you like. Um, it had its fair shares of failures. Um, and um, I can think of two. I mean, I can't go into specifics because you know, uh, one is I might misremember it, and secondly, there's probably some dodgy stuff in there. Um, <laughs> programs of that size come with um, lots and lots of individual actors with their own agendas to play, um, and they're often working with different companies with different commercial constructs. Um, and um, attention to detail is, is where I'm going with this. Um, there was a team of us that had responsibility for the overall system architecture for one of the releases of said national system. And that release had probably six or seven different suppliers supplying different components of that architecture. So the release was probably worth in the region of 100, 130 million pounds in terms of total IT spend on that one release. Not the system, just that release. Um, and it involved all kinds of complex interfaces between systems. And we designed an architecture at the time that had um, fairly abstract statement about how the interfaces were designed and built together. So the idea was that the supplier could instantiate it in one of five or six different ways, depending on the requirements. Um, but that was down to the physical 
negotiate with, I'm going to write this in HTTP, you're going to write your end in HTTP, aren't you? Um, the messaging format was different. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm getting a little technical, but, it, but this one of the things that happened. And um, some of us took our eyes off the ball, and it was only probably um, maybe two months or so before Go Live. Now, that might seem in modern parlance like, Oh, that's ages. Yeah. Because the whole project is done in two months. At the time, we're talking 18-month project where you're very, very deep in the testing phase and wow. spent a lot of testing money. Yeah. Well, we noticed that two systems weren't talking and, we, and, and, and the messaging format was okay, but they're actually implemented very different physical protocols and we just completely missed it. So what's the lesson there mm-hmm. is even if you think you're operating at enterprise level, never forget <laughs> the attention to detail bit. Even if you can't do it yourself, you've got to get everyone... Aligned. It's a communication piece. So communi- yeah, communication, standards, make sure document reviews aren't... So document reviews, when you work on programs of that size, yeah. aren't a nice-to-have and a, and a, oh, it's a tick-box decide to get paid. No, you've got to read it, you've got to go through it, and you've got to go through it with a fine fine comb for the bits that you're responsible for. Um, the impact of which, I mean, it all turned out okay in the end because it wasn't that big a change, largely because we designed a well-designed system that could just flip some switches, more or less. Right. But it could have easily gone a very different way, which is actually we've just killed the entire release and we're going to have to delay wow. by several months. Um, so, 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 yeah, so, um, yeah, a lot of sleep is nice. Um, there's another example later on that taught me something else, which is it's never too late to say stop. Um, and this was several years later on the same program. Yeah. I say several, probably three years later on the same program. Um, we've been wrestling with a particular technology product to trying to bend it to fit a set of requirements, largely because a decision had been made in conjunction with the client probably a year earlier on this product set. It, became, it had become apparent that it wasn't going to perform. No matter what you tried to do, it could not run fast enough for the things we were trying to put through it. And we tried all sorts of things, working with the vendor and working with platform suppliers, working with hardware suppliers to make this thing go faster. We had what we called a tiger team of developers working on this thing for, you know, 100-hour weeks we were putting in, um, lots of sleepless nights, lots of performance testing. It just could not make this thing go. Um, and one step, we were so ingrained in the project process of trying to get it over the line, yeah. it took weeks and weeks and weeks of us before someone said, actually, just step back a second. How functionally complex is this thing? It's only about six web pages and three interfaces. You could build that from scratch without the platform, just from scratch, yeah. probably in about two or three months, which is less than the testing time we've spent already just trying to fix it. Yeah. So in the end, actually, again, a bit similar to the other story, we actually got it over the line. We actually got it working. It soon got replaced. Well, okay. Within two or three yeah. years, it came end of life and got replaced anyway. But the lesson I took from that was um, um, had we taken a step back three months earlier, yeah. we probably would have made the decision if we'd had enough bullishness in our hearts to say, stop. Yeah. It isn't going to work. It's yeah. not that complicated. You could just build this again. There's such a thing as throwing good money after bad. Yeah. And being able to recognize that and stand up for yourself and say, no, no, I am the expert. It isn't going to work um, uh, is, is, is a valid lesson. I think we have to say, like, that, that we did genuinely think it was going to work, but sometimes, like, like you say, you yeah. can't do everything. And you've got, sometimes you've got to take a few steps back to take a leap forward. Yeah. And I think that's sort of a learning, isn't it? It is. Well, it's an interview question I ask guys when I bring, when I bring them in. Um, so, um, uh, so one of the, one of the sort of coaching um, I do is that, look. The work we do is incredibly complicated. There's no yeah. such thing as the right answer, and there's no such thing as the answer. There are probably ten thousand different answers. Some of them are more right, and some of them are more wrong than others. And everything in the middle is is this big grey trade-off area. You know, there is you know, trade-off means something in architecture circles. Um, um, it's almost like teaching people to suck eggs. They should know this stuff, but it translates when I'm interviewing into um, what's the biggest failure you've had, and how did you deal with it? My pet hate is someone saying, "Oh, I haven't had one. I'm so good. Yeah. It's always been all, all my projects have gone live on time." Well, then you've never learned anything. Yeah. What, 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 I, what, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm looking for is, 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 is you know, where, where, where have you had to? Um, um, pull back from something, or go and change direction, or have a difficult conversation with somebody, or how, mm. and, 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 and it's the behaviours. Situation, yeah, and yeah. Impression structure, for instance. Yeah. So on, on that note, let's um, let's talk about the people in your leadership style. Um, so how how would you describe to our listeners your leadership style? How would I describe it? How would everyone else describe it? Probably two yeah, different um, two questions there. <laughs> okay. Um, 
I'd like to think, uh, <laughs> nice couching of my answer there, that people will describe it as fairly trusting and hands-off. Um, um, I'm, um, I said earlier that management and leadership, I think, I think are two different things. I think you could draw a Venn diagram of individual contributor, manager, and leader. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some superheroes that sit in the middle who are great managers, great leaders, and great contributors. Mm-hmm. Most people aren't that. They sit somewhere in one of those wings of that Venn diagram, I think. Yeah. Um, I know I'm not a terribly good manager. Um, and that, and, that, and hands off is not great for that sometimes because um, um, I, I'm, I'm. It's okay with senior people because I let people get on with, with their own. Yeah. They know how to do their job. They know how to manage their client. They know how to manage their team. They'll leave them to it more often than not. Um, so, so it's more directional, um, uh, but collaborative as well. I, I, I don't, I don't tend to operate in a dictatorial style unless mm. there's time pressure that means I haven't got time to explain a particular reasoning point. I'd rather work with um, the organisation around me um, to, um, uh, what's the word, sort of elicit a direction out of the, the, the mire of opinions yeah. and then all coalesce around that direction and go with it. Um, the reason for doing that is, is, well, A, it was the way I was taught, but B, B it, you're going to get more emotional buy-in if everyone's emotionally invested into a direction yeah. That's been made, yeah, and they're going to exactly. Yeah. It's an agile uh, yeah. principle, in fact, for agile development. Not that I'm a massive, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to spout agile every time you ask a question, but it, but it's mm-hmm. one of the principles that I do believe in. Um, so, in that respect, it, it's probably that kind. When it comes to um, uh, people leadership, um, as I said earlier, um, I probably err more on the side of, of, of um, coaching, mentoring, and compassion for the individual. Um, um, possibly sometimes to the detriment of other people if I'm not careful because I'll I'll possibly try and go too far with a lost case sometimes um, um, because uh, I, I, my, my, my role um, in the organisation beyond the technical description I gave you earlier is ultimately to facilitate the environment for other people to be successful. Yeah. Um, I, I accept the fact that most of those people that work in my team are probably better at their jobs than I am at their jobs. I'm not their boss because I'm better at their job than they are that's exactly the wrong way around yeah. uh, I do what I do to create an environment for them to be great at what they do yeah. um, I, I would hope they would agree with me um, um, how successful I am at that um, always learning like I say um, it's it's. Um, uh, I think I've had pretty good success with some of that I've, I've, I've got a relatively good retention rate in my team um, I, I'd, I'd hope that and There's in this loyalty market built as well, there. that's yeah. a really good time to yeah. sign because the, yeah. the thing is, people constantly being coached well for yeah. companies in IT, and if they've got the the staying power, you obviously have something like retention rates can really good ways to look at it. Yeah, I think I think uh, we don't. It's interesting to talk about, we should probably talk about our hiring pattern, how we hire. Um, I know we've talked about it before, mm-hmm. but we'll talk about it, yeah, it which is, um, we have this model we call heart, head and hands. Um, actually, I, I didn't come up with this, our CEO came with us, uh, yeah. Sean Irwin came up with this. Um, and the model is 60-20-20. So 60% heart, 20% head, 20% hands. We can tinker with the ratios a little bit based mm-hmm. on seniority of the role and the, and, the, and, the, and the actual position. But more or less, that's our, that's our um, baseline framework. And what we mean by that is we're looking for particular types of behaviours and character in a person more than we are the technical ability um, and the experience of a particular type of role that we want, which means we're happy to move people into adjacent roles. Yeah. Um, so what we're looking for is, is is alignment with our culture and our value system that we hope aligns with our clients. Pardon me. So we have a, a post drop in every office, in every meeting room, um, called Pacts: Passion, Accountability, Collaboration, Transparency, and Sustainability. Mm-hmm. Now every company has a value system, and every yeah. company says they believe in it. We hire against it. We actually score people against that as part of our hiring process. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly at the junior levels. We do it at the senior levels as well, because obviously you have to radiate these things out. If you believe in a value, you've got to radiate it out. Um, But when we're doing graduate hire, for example, um, we don't look for people necessarily with a 2-1 computer science. It helps, but we don't necessarily look for it. Um, In fact, in our current cohort, I think we're roughly 50-50 of people with a non-tech background. That's great, isn't it? Um, and, And that's how we encourage people to behave with each other in the company. Um, you can learn technical skills within within a degree. You, you have to have some kind of a problem solving mindset and a change mm-hmm. mindset. But within a within a degree, you can learn technical skills. It's very hard to learn behaviours. Yeah. Um. Uh, it's very you know, it's a leopard changing its spots type parable. It's mm-hmm. it's really quite you know um, difficult. Uh, and we've hit this in the past. So, so this isn't necessarily just a um 
you know, a LinkedIn meme thing. This, this is that we've fallen foul of this in the past. We've hired somebody, and over time, they've done damage to the organisation to our client because actually they weren't aligned with our value system. We have, we have, a, we have. Massac has a very unique who we are feeling about our company. Um, um, you know, we sort of, in fact, in an early version of the system. Uh, uh, I hope no one might be telling the, co- the world this, but it was originally going to be called. We originally got to be facts, not facts. With the S name for family, um, on the basis that, um, well, there's lots of connotations to the word family, but one of the connotations was um, when things go wrong, you don't eject a family member. You find ways of working around it and, and establishing yeah, ways of operation. Really it actually will change into passion yeah. for, for, for various other reasons. Um, whether it's in the value system or not on the poster is certainly part of who we are as a company. Yeah. And I, and I try and instill that in everyone that I, that I meet with in the company and with our clients. And we have that feeling with our clients. We try and create this seamless, seamless um, interface between us and our clients where a, where a master key stops and a client starts is, is, is kind of a, a, a fairly ephemeral boundary. And we, we find ourselves just part of their organization. Um, and that's yeah. why you have such great long-term relationships, I guess, with your clients. Yeah, and that's what we do. We, we we don't we don't we don't necessarily work in a transactional mode where we're yeah, get in get out. We try to build long-term, lasting, value-added yeah, relationships with our clients. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the same um, for us and within our business, yeah. and, and that's how you know we often refer to the guys out out here. You know, the team, the family, the TP family. You spend yeah. so much time um, with everyone, don't yeah. you? But I was loving them. Like I guess what you said about you don't just object something from your family. Yeah. It's true, isn't it? It's things work, and I think we're yeah. sort of a similar style. I guess with our clients as well, we really embed ourselves. Like you say, it's not transactional. We're not in and out, and it's it's a long term thing. We're an extension of your team, the power of team. Yeah. As you scale, we scale. Yeah. And I think it's the idea that, um, and it'd be similar, I guess, with Mastech. Your client's success is your success as well, and in turn, they should want you to do well as a business off the back of it. Exactly. So, so, so I, I, I don't believe in a zero sum game, um, yeah. which is for me to win, you have to, you have to fail. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm a great believer in the power of the network. So, the more people that are contributory contributors to a solution to a problem, the more likely that problem will generate higher value. Sorry, that solution will generate higher value. Um, so. You know, we do have clients who do treat us like a supplier rather than a partner, um, and we understand that relationship. Um, it's less comfortable as, to us than a partner relationship, though. We are far more comfortable operating in a partnerial yeah. um, uh, environment, um, and and we embed that in our people. Yeah, brilliant. Perfect. Mm. I think it'd be good to find out, I guess, then a bit more about how you motivate and unite your teams, like what you do as part of create that environment um okay it's probably something it's probably not being candid my 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 um my strongest point that i've learned so far in my my last uh my, my last sort of four or five years journey but my, my, my technique i try and apply um hark back to what i was saying earlier about getting people's emotional buy-in so um there are certain things a business needs to do that come down from the board or come down from the market you know changes that we have to react to and it's just a do this because we have to do it um, but w- within certain boundaries, we are free as actors within the business to define our own direction. Um, and I'm quite lucky, I suppose, in that um, being responsible for the team I'm responsible for and the remit we have, which is tech strategy um, and all the, all the client facing role, uh, senior client facing roles that we, that, that we fulfil, um, that we are both seen inside and externally looking into the company as thought leaders in that process. Which means that um, getting that um, motivation in people is largely about um, uh, their emotional buy-in to the direction we're going. And if they don't believe in where yeah. we're going, they don't believe in our strategy, don't believe in our clients, the client we're picking, the client we're trying to work with, the then they're probably yeah they're probably not going to want to stay a Mastech. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if that's uh, if that's if that's clearly a one-person misalignment. Mm-hmm. Then maybe that's a person who's got to the end of their journey and wants to go off and do something else in, in the industry yeah. elsewhere. That, that, that's that's okay. I, I don't have a, I don't I don't try and create lassoes around people. Um, I have no problem with throughput through the company. <laughs> However, if 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 a you know a large chunk of the team starts disagreeing with it, then clearly this is a strategy that's wrong, not the team that's wrong. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd like to think it was that. That'd be my that'd be my default position anyway. So that's how I get the motivation. Um, one of the things that we're struggling with a little bit is mm. uh, we've hired quite a lot of senior people into the team, yeah. um, into existing very senior roles in the organisation, and 
where they go in their career in the organization is a little bit ill-defined for them at the moment. Um, and one of the things I'm trying to trying to work out over the next um, few months is, and it ties into our growth as a business, is as we grow as MassTech, how do we unlock opportunities for those people to grow as well? Um, the worst thing possible in a, referring to my earlier MassTech for the O statement, would be that everyone just sees the organization as a dead man's shoes organization. Actually, um, I have to leave for someone to progress. Yeah. Um, not that you know. Not not. There's any reason why you know. Over time, I, I you know I shouldn't at some point be looking to to move into a different role, but it shouldn't be the only default way for people to progress in an organisation. So there's there's, no, there's there's if you look at the career side of things, there's a motivational part of that for people that probably is a little bit of a I wouldn't say blind spot. I'm aware of it, yeah. but I haven't necessarily solved it yet in the organisation. I think I think there are constraints and boundaries I'm trying to operate in that I haven't quite got a, a handle on yet. But in terms of the mission of keeping people occupied. Um, I think you know, in, in terms of in, uh, emotion occupied, not yeah. not physically occupied, um, uh, I, I, you know, that's done by collaboration really and transparency. Fantastic. Um, I think it's good to find out. I guess I think from the perspective about advice that you can give to people that, that I guess are listeners that want to move up to CIO, CTO level, what advice would you give them? Um, okay, I think I think we've covered some already, which yeah. is which is. Uh, um, don't step away from the from the from the slightly less interesting tasks. Yeah. I've been guilty of it in the past, um, and I got myself in hot water over it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, which is um, um, so. In my particular case, it would be the financial management parts of it. Perhaps um, some of the um, less appetizing people management parts of it. You, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to learn those things, yeah, learn those skills, become a rounded individual. Mm. Um, and actually, they're useful skills anyway in in any um, uh, uh, moving toward leadership position. Anyway, to be honest, um, in IT, the way the way teaming works now, particularly in a um, post agile world, if you like, where everything's product teams or very or, or scrum teams, is everyone's a leader in their team anyway. Because mm-hmm. you're talking multidisciplinary roles where everyone has a, has the mandate to to um, express their view and their opinion and, and get things done or, uh, to get. To the, to the goal um, those skills um, uh, um, are um, just needs to be honed and honed and widened that's, that's almost a dichotomy <laughs> but 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 the, the principle of, of, of developing those leadership skills beyond yeah. the tech skills yeah. but then but then widening out things that are in in, in your blind spot uh, are, are what able to grow but, but but they're not just because you want to grow they're useful things to do anyway to yeah. be successful in the roles you're doing and it'll become so a natural it'll become a natural evolution um, and I guess that, that the reason I can give that advice, I suppose, is because I've not necessarily consciously thought about my progression. Mm. It's just happened naturally because those things have happened to me. I've had to take on responsibility. Yeah. I've had to do those things. Mm. I've naturally moved into those roles. So, so it's coming. So, so, so I would temper my advice with it's coming from a viewpoint of someone who's done it that way. Yeah. 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 I, I couldn't yeah. necessarily easily give advice for someone who's structuring a career path and saying, yeah. at this point, I want to learn that, I want to do that. Yeah. Um, I know people who have done things like go on, gone on, you know, learn, gone and done an MBA, for example, or um, or they're an architect and they've learned Prince 2 or the delivery manager yeah. they've learned TOGAF or whatever it might be. Um, all those things are valid. I couldn't necessarily give you a data-driven viewpoint as to whether that's a, 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 a good structured way to do it. I know people who are successful who've done that. I know people who aren't. Um, um, it's probably more down to the personalities and behaviours of the individual than it is to do with their academic capabilities mm-hmm. in passing those exams and getting those qualifications. Um, a case in point would be I don't particularly look for them if I'm looking to hire people into the team. Mm-hmm. It's an indicator mm-hmm. of the intellectual capability, but it's not necessarily an indicator of behaviours. And, uh, uh, yeah. So, who, so along the way, along your journey, yeah. who's been your, or who would you say now is your greatest role model? In- Oh, um, well, I referred to one earlier. Um, so, so it's a temptation to pick somebody recent um, uh, to, for my recent success, and, and, I, and I will in a minute. Um, I think Rob, uh, a chap called Rob Clayton, um, who was with my mentor in the early days in Integra. Yeah. Without him, I probably would have stayed, probably as a backroom techie for a very long time, just enjoying hacking around with you know somebody else's system that the, that someone had broken and fixing it. Because um, tinkering is in my blood, if you like, um, I, you know, I do a lot of it at home. To much to Vicky's uh, dismay, uh, half the half the home is automated at the moment, and, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, 
So uh, I think there's no. I think I have him to thank for an awful lot. Um, clearly, my family got me into it in the first place. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is entirely up to them, <laughs> and, 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 and rather than me. In recent years, um, I guess there are probably. Uh, I'll, I'll call them both out. I might call them by name. So there's a chap called Ben Davison, who you know, uh, I'm sure, um, who I've worked with many, many years. Now um, he's now director of Axiologic. I think um, without him, um, I probably wouldn't have got the opportunity I got on the spine program and to work with the people I work with, and then subsequently in Mastec and so on. Um, and that's how I met um, Pralad. Um, Pralad's um, currently executive director of special projects at Mastec. Oh, um, and he, he doesn't have the title of it. Informally, he's been my mentor probably for the last couple of three years in Mastec. Um, he's, he's the person I go to for advice on dealing with tricky situations either you know with a client or with um, a, you know the team structure or with um, particular individuals or whatever it might be mm. you know he's my sounding board um, you need that don't you? yeah uh, and he's just a, a a thoroughly decent human being quite yeah. frankly <laughs> but a very experienced guy as well yeah. so you know I think they're probably the two people that I know out in industry it's hard I'm not it's hard to find popular figures in, in my psyche. I'm, I'm not a massive you know, follower on... Sometimes it just needs to be like really yeah, popular people. Yeah, it's just people yeah. that have had an impact, isn't it? Or like people... I think if you, if, you, if, you, if you were to look at the messages I repeat, I yeah. guess the person whose impact um, probably comes through in my language would be Simon Sinek. Um, you know, the guy the guy that does the TED Talks. Um, if you don't know him, he's brilliant, by the way. Go yeah. and research Simon That's Sinek. He, um, <laughs> he talks about leadership style... Um, talks about um, uh, societal change. Um, uh, uh, he's, he's a fabulous orator. Mm. He's great on the stage. So you, you pick up a lot of tips just watching him, the way he holds an audience, the way he holds mm. people's attention and, and, and gets a point home. But also his thought <laughs> yeah. process. Yeah, he's brilliant. But also his thought process that mm. gets him to the, the message he's trying to get across. Yeah. It, it, you know, he, he's, he's a compassionate individual who does things for a reason. Mm. Um, and it's where, it's where the belief in a mission comes from. Um, a, a lovely quote from him, for example. Um, um, I hope I'm not misquoting it. I, I, I might paraphrase the quote: "Is is um, business is a bit like a car, um, and and fuel uh, money is a bit like fuel. You don't buy a car to put fuel in it. You buy a car to go somewhere. In the same way, you don't you don't run a business to make money. You make money to run the business, but the business is there to do something. What's it there? To, what's your reason? What's your purpose for existence?" Um, like yeah. So, so things like that, you know, are, 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 you know, really impactful on me because, um, yeah, sure, money and success are great. It's nice to have a, you know, nice successful lifestyle, nice a nice holiday, and a nice house, and things like that, and provide for your family. But um, you can probably tell, you know, my political leanings from this conversation. But it's more about the impact you're having on society and your colleagues, and yeah. that, that for me, that's the buzz. Um, that's why that's why you solve a problem. You don't solve a problem to make money. Mm. You might need problem to you might need money to solve the problem. Mm. You solve the problem because it's causing something that's that's, that's, that's causing friction in society or mm. friction in a culture somewhere or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, and that and that's why I quite like working where I'm working right now in Master because we have that mission of delivering impactful programs of change. Mm. And impactful isn't always measured in money. In fact, in our case studies, sometimes we don't we don't talk about our case studies in terms of return on investment to the client under yeah. pound and pence. We talk about return on investment sometimes in slightly more tangible things like number of care hours returned to the system or things yeah, like that. That's, that's the way we talk about it. Yeah. Um, and that, and that, makes, that makes me and the t- team that I work with feel invested in our mission. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're big influences. So um, how, do you, um, how do you keep yourself sane and healthy and like, how do you... What do you do for yourself from a health and well-being point of view? Um, How do you manage that stress? I don't know that I am sane. <laughs> I think it depends who you ask. Um, um, I think I've had to adapt a few techniques over the last couple of three years because things have got pretty, pretty. Um, if you imagine a curve of pressure yeah. rather than stress, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in the difference between pressure and stress. Um, the pressure has ramped up in the last couple yeah. of years as, as, as our ambitions as a company have changed somewhat. Mm-hmm. Uh, the market has caused pressure on that ambition, as, and, and we've and actually our success has caused pressure as well in places. Um, where that becomes stress is where you start to lose control of the inputs to that pressure. Yeah. So pressure is a good thing because pressure keeps you in the peak curve. Mm-hmm. Stress is a bad thing because stress damages you. Um, so, so what, what, what a good technique that I've had to develop is 
recognizing when the pressure is turning into stress and the effect it's having on you. Mm. It's hard to recognize that sometimes because you're inside the box and and, you, and, you, and it's hard to know the walls are coming in on you. Exactly. So a case in point was being on holiday last week. Um, mm-hmm. So so um, it was a fairly short notice holiday, um, probably only about a week or so's notice. I, um, I started to realize that I couldn't concentrate very easily in meetings, and I was and. and Really, 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 really weird thing happened, which caused me to suddenly sort of realise I, I, I needed a break. I needed to go and shut down my brain for a while. Um, the really weird thing that happened was nothing to do with the meeting. Yeah. I was on a train to um, Reading, and I was having a laptop on the table, had my one phone next to it, and my other phone to my ear, and I was having a conference call whilst reading an email. Looked up, and I'd arrived at Reading Station. I thought, oh, quick, so I slammed, slammed things shut, got off the train. Nothing particularly unusual about that. Lots mm-hmm. of people are in a stress and a hurry all the time. Got off the train... Um, as I was going up the stairs, I realised my credit card and my this, this phone had my credit card and my pay on phone app on it and things like that. I realised, oh, it's all on there. Oh, it wasn't in my pocket. Oh, no. um, and I was halfway up the steps in Reading and I, I thought, what am I going to do? And the train hadn't left. So I ran back down the stairs and asked the guard to hold the train to Cardiff. Can you please not let the train? And she let me back on. And I ran up and down the carriage, getting into a big stress, wondering where my phone was. I couldn't even remember which carriage I'd been in. So that's bad. I couldn't remember which carriage I'd been in. Um, I couldn't remember if I got off the train. I couldn't. I couldn't remember getting off it. I couldn't remember where my phone was. I couldn't remember if I picked it up or not. Long story short, again, like my other other stories mm-hmm. earlier, it turned out okay because I got off, head in my hands, and I can't find it. She said, "I'm gonna have to let the train go. I'm really sorry. Let the train go." Lovely story. This this guard came running down the platform, saying, "Are you talking to that lady about losing your phone?" I said, "Yeah, I am." I said, "Ah, oh, another lady just handed it in to oh, me. Wow. It's already in the lost property office." So I, but that was like. One minute, 30 seconds ago, he's already in the lost property office. So it was really brilliant. Yeah, so it's a really nice story to yeah. it. But what it made me reflect, thinking I had no recollection of that, that two minutes. Then. It was almost like a blackout moment. Yeah. Now, I know we always do that sometimes where we think, oh, did I go to the traffic light this morning on the way into work or not? <laughs> yes. We always have that sometimes. But when, yeah. when, when you have that moment, you think, actually, something's wrong. I'm not operating at peak. So you, you have to just go in downtime. Um, and I didn't take my phone with me. Um, so within how much notice then did you decide? So uh, it's four days. Really? Yeah, four days notice. Yeah. I, said, I, said, uh, I just went to a little uh, um, uh, log cabin on the coast of uh, Snowdonia for a few days with Vicky uh, uh, and Gabriel. Um, and uh, it was it's only three three nights away. You just said you left your phone. You I left my phone uh, um, uh, in, in the house. Um, took my my own phone, but there was no network anyway. Yeah. Yes, just dark skies, no street lights, no traffic, um, and just tried to just just switch my brain off for a while. I didn't actually switch off. I was still thinking about problems, of course, but um, but it was it, it was. And then the answer to the question was, how do you do it? I, I think I'm not I, I'm not very good at it, but I recognize I started. I do know when things are getting to me to the point at which I need to do something about it. I start realizing I've made mistakes. The other thing I do is I start to do things that are out of a character. I recognise this in other people as well. The people who start to do things like lose their temper or, or suddenly become it's inwards all, or changes in behaviours are the things you need to look for yeah. in yourself or other people. Um, now, you could argue that's too late when those things are happening. Yeah. Um, um, it's probably um, an example of, of perhaps needing to adapt a new style which recognises things before they happen. Yeah. Um, I'm a kind of a believer in the... Um, what it's called. I keep calling it the peak arousal curve, but it makes people snigger. Um, but it is, I think I think it's literally called that. Um, and it's a graph base, which is performance versus um, uh, pressure. Yeah. And it's basically a bell curve. And you want to be in the middle mm-hmm. because you need some pressure to keep yeah. you motivated. Yeah. Otherwise, actually, you get lazy and you get idle because there's mm-hmm. no pressure on you. But too much pressure and it quickly turns to stress. Mm-hmm. because you, because uh, Not because the pressure itself is stress, but because that much pressure causes um, uh, um, more task switching in your brain because you're having to think about the pressure itself as much as the job um, which means which means you start to lose control of the uh, of, of the time of the situation which which then becomes stress um, so I'm, I'm quite I'm, I'm a believer in you know there needs to be pressure mm. um, so that identification of when pressure becomes stress is, yeah. is key um, and like I say you, you can recognize that through behavioral changes mistakes and things like that in yourself and in others whether that's the best way to do it or not, uh, and just do more research on that and more reading on that. I think. I think it's really good to be self-aware like that, yeah. and the fact that you were able to—I'm sure you had loads of meetings and stuff booked in, and within mm. that short amount of time, say I need to actually in a few days, and, mm. and and now you feel refreshed, right? <laughs> well, it's already Wednesday the week after, so it's already going back again. But yeah, yeah, yeah I do does feel that. Does it better. take long? Does it take? 
It we always have our best business ideas when we're on holiday, don't we? Yeah. We always end up texting each other loads about because you just have time to step away and, like you say, take a couple of steps away and look at overall what's going on and what well, we can do to improve. Pressure and stress stifle creativity. Yeah. Um, but pressure creates the environment for execution. So it's not dichotomy we find ourselves in yeah. in change markets. So um, if your job is to, is to stimulate change... Um, uh, as a pure anecdote, it might not be appropriate. I don't know. We had we had we had this idea about five six years ago. What we're going to do is we're going to go out and have a night on the beers mm. with a with a pen and paper and write down every crazy idea <laughs> we came up with because because you alcohol alcohol and relaxation creates creates yeah. an environment of creativity, yeah. but it also it hampers your ability to logically think through what the um, constraints and problems might be. Although and every single idea seems like the most amazing mess I've ever thought of, and then you get that script. So, then the second part was come, come, in to get, come, in, come in next morning with coffee, Red Bull, and a clear schedule, yeah. and just triage oh, lists. And, and just triage it and go, yeah, that was rubbish, that was rubbish, that was rubbish. Actually, there's something in that. Yeah. And then spend some time yeah, focusing on it. Idea, um, um, we never did it, but, but the, principle, the principle was yeah. sound, which is create space for creativity because yeah. you, you've got to have. Um, freedom from stress to have that um, um, uh, creative element, um, but you need pressure for execution. Yeah. Um, it's all very well having an idea, but without the pressure, it'll never, it'll never get built. Yeah. And the pressure gives you that buzz as well, doesn't it? Like, yeah. But, it, but like you say, it's managing it properly, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Good for you. So it'll be good, I guess, to end the podcast to find out about this year, what you've got planned, what exciting things are on the agenda for Mastec and yourself and. What's the plan for 2020 then? Um, well, I would say more of the same. But that more of the same actually is quite exciting because um, last few years we've gone through quite a big growth profile. Mm. So um, um, uh, last year we won a vendor of the year, last, yeah, uh, BCS, which, was, which was pretty amazing for us. One of the reasons we won that was um, for our investment um, that we've made in things like the graduate scheme and also yeah. making our changes in diversity. Mm-hmm. So um, we are part of the IT community. It's got a pretty bad rep for that and we are... We're not much. We are a bit better than the average, but we're not much better. So we've got a lot of work to do to change that. So I'm quite excited about making some changes in that space to try and whether that's changes in the way we do our job advertising, um, um, or changes in the way that we um, uh, incentivize people in the business as well to progress. Um, I think there's often quite a struggle. I think in consultancies as well because there's the element of travel required, isn't there? When exactly. you're trying to yeah. sort of increased diversity and inclusion in general obviously yeah. of that so that causes problems for disability it causes problems for childcare yeah, but but you know as society is, is helping us out here because mm-hmm. it's no longer I mean the childcare thing for example for gender diversity mm-hmm. um, uh, is becoming well it's taken a long long time it's becoming yeah. less of an issue yeah. for the, yeah. the two to be linked yeah, of um, uh, I mean it would be a while before that that's a completely broken link um, unless you move somewhere like Scandinavia I guess where it's a bit more accepted um, so that's one thing but, that, but, the, but the backdrop to that is the hiring as well so we are planning to grow um, the Mastec Consulting brand over the next year to, to, to be that spearheaded organisation as a sub-brand within Mastec um, and that means um, quite a lot of internal exciting work on um, our operating model so how we're going to build out our um, catalogue of services we offer to our clients um, that are our uh, that are linked into our value proposition. So, why why, why are we offering those? What you know, in terms of the delivery services we offer? Why do they add value to our clients? Do we have anything that's unique and creative there? But then hiring against that plan as well to make sure we've got the right talent in. That's internal hiring as well. External hiring. We're going to have to bring people into the organisation to grow it. We also need to create opportunity for growth for people to move into that organisation. Um, so. Uh, there's, there's something quite fulfilling about that because um, it's not just about personal ambition, um, um, although it is quite nice. Um, it, it's about um, creating opportunities for lots of people um, in, 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 um, uh, within the organisation. There, um, and the backdrop to that is the growth targets we have and the ambitions we have for the organisation. So, hence I mentioned the BCS thing was was the, the, the vendor award was the other angle that they liked about our submission was that we haven't just done these things because the ONS returns were bad or yeah. because um, we had a load of spare cash to spend on um, that was going into our um, training escrow you know, the, the, the training fund the tax fund um, it was more actually it fuels our growth plan so so the, the question they asked us in the presentation was and so what I said actually I've got a slide for that and showed the growth plan for the business over, over the next two or three years so our aim for the business is to be um, a mid cap inside the next two to three years which means another doubling in size um, so uh, that's you know ambitious, yeah. very ambitious. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, well, thank you very much, Gordon, for coming in to see us today. Yeah, it's nice thank to you. see you again yeah. and um, find out a lot more about you. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Really thank you very much. About your story, and I'm sure the listeners will be um, be able to take a few tips away yeah, from today. So definitely. thank you very much. Really for... good stuff there. Yeah, definitely. Thank you very much for tuning in, and we'll look forward to um, speaking to you in the next couple of weeks. <laughs>